Okay, that's the Zoom liturgy of like, now it's time to hear from the word of the Lord. So would you join me as we pray? Jesus, these are your words. You spoke them into being uh, centuries ago, and we stand on the shoulders of our grandfathers and grandmothers in faith who studied this, who cherish this word. Now may we cherish it. May it speak to us. May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we'll begin with a passage from Galatians, and then the text that's in your bulletin, we'll get into it in just a moment. Listen that by faith, you might hear God's word for you this morning. This is Galatians chapter five. The apostle Paul goes through uh, some challenges that the, the church was facing, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, and strife. And then he says this in verse 22, by contrast, the fruit of the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I mentioned earlier, we're beginning a new sermon series today on the fruits of the spirit. And the angle that we're going to take that's a little bit different that all of us on teaching team were excited to attempt to step into is what if we took a fruit of the spirit, one per week, and then we took an example of how Jesus lived into that fruit of the spirit and put them together. What if we were able to see the fruits of the spirit lived out in Jesus's life and ministry? I, I, I'm sure other people have done it, but I've never taught through the fruits of the spirit this way. So I'm really looking forward to doing this. And it makes sense, right? The fruits of the spirit are these character traits, these virtues that are not necessarily unique to Christ followers, but the way they're expressed in the life of Jesus is completely unique. There's, there's never been a person that expressed these character traits quite like Jesus did. We believe that the fruits of the spirit are super important, but they work best when they're grounded in reality, in real life. And so that's what we're going to look at as we look at Jesus's life and how he reflects this. So today, the first fruit of the spirit is love. Say that with me, love, very simple. We're going to answer three questions about love. What is it? Where do we see Jesus living this out? And what can we do in response? What is it? Where do we see Jesus interacting with this? And what can we do in response? So let's talk about what is it? I'm sure many of you have heard great sermons over the years about what love is, how it's defined in the Bible. We're going to get into some of that. And then by looking at a key moment in Jesus's life, we're going to look at the costliness of it. So in today's text, love is expressed uh, right at the beginning of our passage. And it's the Greek word agape. Say that with me, agape. There are a couple of other uh, Greek words that are used to uh, share this concept of love. So like our Western concept of love, I looked this up in Webster's, it's strong affection, it's unselfish and loyal devotion, or it's to cherish someone or something, right? It's a noun and a verb. Well, in the Greek, there's a lot of different ways to express love. And C.S. Lewis wrote a great essay about this years ago, which you should go read, The Four Loves. But these other words for love, phileo, eros, they're different than the word we're talking about today, which is agape. Agape happens 116 times in the New Testament. So it's a, it's a very specific word. It's not like it's only used once or twice. We kind of have to guess at the meeting. It's used a bunch of different times. And it means love. It means kindly concern or devotedness, being devoted to someone or something else. A correlating passage to this actually two times 
in the letter to 1 John really help flesh this out. What makes this understanding of love, agape love, unique? Well, in 1 John 3.16, it says this, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is sacrificial love. This is the unique offering of Christ-centered love in that it's sacrificial. Love cannot just be a feeling if it's sacrificial. If it, if it stings a little bit, if it hurts, if we have to put aside what first motivates us, which is often, especially for me, my own comfort, my own convenience, then we're not doing agape love. Agape love is different. Later on in uh, 1 John, just in the next chapter, chapter 4, is this very simple, very short phrase at the end of verse 8, God is love, the bigger context. Whoever does not love does not know God for because God is love. Say that with me. God is love. That's on t-shirts. That's on coffee cups. That's all fine and good. What does it mean? What does it mean? Foundational to the identity of the God of the Bible is love. Now, this is in total contrast to the other world religions that I'm aware of. And I'm just saying this by contrast, not to disrespect any of them, because all of those faiths have great things in them. If you worship the God of Islam, that God is just and righteous and law abiding and very much seeks to sort of purify and make those folks who follow that God holy. If you are a devotee to kind of Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, that God is wisdom. That God is how to live a virtuous life. You can, you can find that God through sort of this journey of self-discovery. But in neither of those two religions, nor any other religion that I'm aware of in the world, is there this concept of sacrificial love, that the God of the Bible would so give of himself that it would be costly to him. The ancient Greek gods were not like this. The ancient Roman gods were not like this. They would not lay down the li their lives for the sake of the people they ruled over. Those people served them. It went one direction. This God is different. And I say all of this because I'm looking at y'all and I know y'all and I know your stories. This is such an important tool to be able to talk about our faith with people outside the faith. They might hear you say, God is love. I believe that the God of the Bible is love. But take it a step further. Take it a step further and say, here's what God's love means to me. It means he sacrifices for me. It means he thinks about me. It means he is deeply invested in my life. This is different than the type of love that we see expressed in movies and television. And I included a quote in your bulletin. I don't want you to read it all right now. Hopefully you've had a chance to read it before now. But at the top of page one of your bulletin, there's a great quote from Tim Keller, an author and a pastor from his book on marriage. And I'm going to summarize it for us, okay? So if you're more of like the Cliff Notes version of, of reading stuff, here you go. What Keller says is, what makes God's love unique is that it allows us to see the truth about ourselves. You want to write this down. God's love allows me to see who I really am. God's love reveals who I really am. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know this. Who we really are is not pretty a lot of the time. It's pretty ugly sometimes. I, I know that's true in my own heart. When I am near to the Lord, when I am in prayer, when I am seeking him on a walk or a solo hike, when I am worshiping God, oftentimes I'm reminded of this fact. I'm not a very lovable person at my core. I'm not. And that's not a reason for self-flagellation. That's a reason to say, 
this is how good God's love is for me. That he would see me for who I am, broken, hopeless, sinful, and lost. And through the redemption of Jesus Christ, through confession and forgiveness and accountability and taking steps forward, I get to lead a different life. I get to lead the kind of life where who I am is revealed by the love of God, not by what I've done. But God's love has drawn me further up and further in into this incredible journey in his kingdom. And it's revealed to me just how desperately I need him every single day. One of the greatest challenges facing our church community here on the east side is we are by and large a comfortable people. We all have our challenges. We all have our struggles. But by and large, we're pretty comfortable. How do you help comfortable people understand how desperately we need this love of God? Let's look at an example from the scriptures where Jesus made this apparent. His very presence made this apparent. You can uh, turn with me to Luke 23. You can also just open up the front page of your Bible, or excuse me, of your bulletin. And this passage, and I'm going to read for us, it's going to be a little jarring to shift into this emotionally, because this is maybe the darkest, one of the darkest moments in Jesus' whole ministry. So to catch us up on the context, he's been uh, ministering to people, healing people, casting out demons, performing miracles all throughout the ancient Near East. And then he's arrested. He's abandoned by his friends. It just goes down, down, down in the darkness. And Jesus is crucified in the passage right before this. He's suffering an awful, awful death. And he's going to die. There's no turning back. And then in verse 39 of Luke 23, it says this. One of the criminals who were hanged there, one of the criminals next to him, remember, top of the hill, three crosses. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him. That word deriding means blaspheming, means tearing him apart. And he was saying to him, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly. A criminal is fessing up to his crimes. We have been condemned justly. We deserve our punishment. He says, we are getting what we deserve for our deeds But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Nothing. Can't find a shred of evidence against this guy. And then after this amazing declaration, this criminal, we don't even know this man's name. He says this, Jesus, he knows Jesus' name. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Don't forget me. Bring me with you. And then Jesus replied to him, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the gospel. This is an undeserving, broken man dying under the weight of his own sin and his own brokenness. And Jesus says to him, I got you. I got you. It's a glorious moment for him. But think about this. For the other man, this other thief, who is scorning and mocking and slandering Jesus, what is he missing? He's missing the truth about his situation. He's dying. He's a guilty man. He's a criminal. And in his mind, I just use your biblical imagination with me. In his mind, all he knows is I'm done. I'm done. I'm not getting out of this. There's no way because what's, what's the conclusion of my life, my existence? I'm dying as a criminal. I'm dead meat. I can't see any way out. If he really believed that Jesus would have saved him, he wouldn't have made fun of him. The other thief, 
the one who chooses to be respectful, the one who actually gets this premise of love that in the presence of Jesus, who is love embodied, he sees the truth about himself. He says, I can't rescue myself. I'm done. But I see this man and I see that he's innocent. And I bet you because he knew Jesus's name, he knew something about Jesus. And he says, you know what? I'm not done yet. There's more to my life. There's more to my journey. We're not done here. He gets both how guilty and broken he is and how incredible the opportunity is to say, Jesus, you got to help. I'm done. This is how the Bible depicts love in a powerful way. This is not sentimentality. This is not lighthearted, romantic comedy love. This is costly love. This is the kind of love that Jesus pays for, as he said at the communion table, with his broken body, with his spilled blood. And I got to tell you all, when I came to be a follower of Jesus Christ, when I came to own my faith, kind of by my own choice, by my own kind of entering into it, not the faith that was given to me by my parents, which I'm so thankful for, but like the choice that I made to follow Jesus Christ, it was because I had to recognize this about myself. Like, like the thief that actually embraces Jesus in a sense, I had to realize how messed up and lost I was without it. I've shared with you all before, I kind of had a two-part conversion. I had a, a, a moment when I was in middle school where I realized you know, these stories about Jesus are true. My own brokenness is, is so deep. I hope that he'll love me. I hope that he'll accept me. And then in high school, God kind of completed that journey for me and brought me into his family. And one of the key things I had to realize is how restless I am without God. How I'm constantly looking for the next thing to fill me up or to make me feel better or to answer some of the longings in my heart. And instead, what I had to do is say, you know what, Jesus, you've got to have this for me. Because I'll keep chasing all kinds of other things, success, respect, acceptance. I'll keep chasing all this other stuff for the rest of my life. But you can give it to me now. I can come to you and I can, I can be embraced now. If you're a Christ follower, what was that thing for you? What was that thing that helped you kind of step foot into the kingdom of God? Was it restlessness like it was in my own heart? Was it guilt? Was it shame? Sometimes God can use those things to pull us close to him. Was it losing your job, ending a relationship? What was it that helped you take that step of faith toward Christ? That's kind of the first part of uh, this final section. What can we do in response to this good news about God's love? The first part is just to reflect on it. How did God's love become real to you? How did it become something that gets you up at 930 on a Sunday morning so you can join a Zoom call and worship God? You're not just doing that. You're not just randomly choosing to do that. You're choosing to do that intentionally. If God's love reveals who you really are, what is that? How would you answer that question? The second uh, response that we need to do, and this really builds off uh, Ian's sermon from last week, which was so excellent. We need to take steps. We need to act. And to do that, I want to offer just kind of a final definition of love. And it is this. This is from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors. He says, love seeks the flourishing of the object upon which it is directed. Love seeks the flourishing of the object upon which it is directed. What does that mean? If you seek the flourishing of something in your life, you are devoting a part of yourself 
to making sure that that thing, that person, that project flourishes. It's an act of love. It's sacrificial. You're promoting the good of someone or something else, not because you're going to get anything out of it. No, 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 no. But because you're going to seek its flourishing with no intended return. That's the kind of love that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. And a very practical step, mark this on your calendars, file this away, is going to be on August 22nd, everybody's invited to Community Serve Day. Community Serve Day is where we, along with a bunch of other churches around the east side, we partner together and we go into the schools to help them get ready for a new school year. We serve teachers. We help do yard work. We clean up stuff around the campus. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. So mark your calendars, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., August 22nd. We will be acting out our love in the community. And I hope you'll be a part of it. I hope you will just make room and move stuff around so that you can be there. Even if it's not for the whole morning, even if you got little kids, just come. Come be a part of it. It's fun. It's exciting. It's a great day. So I hope that you'll be there. Now we're going to transition to breakout rooms. This is a lot to think about, but I want you to go into your breakout rooms and I want you to look at these two questions that are there in your bulletin. Because it's just going to be a good way for us to kind of wrap up this discussion about love. The first question is just a real simple, how is your week? How you doing? Share one high and one low. And then the second question is about this subject of love. Share an example of someone doing something loving for you. Just one thing. I got up this morning and, you know, my wife had my coffee ready to go for me. Or my spouse had this. Or my roommate. Or one of my kids had drawn me a picture simple acts of love, because that's what's going to get our imaginations going, church, about how we are called to love as Jesus loved, so that it reveals who we are and so that we can seek the flourishing of what's in front of us. So please join me in prayer, and then we'll go to our breakout rooms. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your church. Bless our discussion now as we go to our breakout rooms. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So click the breakout room button. You've got a breakout room assigned. Head off, and we'll see you in 20 minutes. Thanks.